This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to the Chronicles of Nania. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined by the show's namesake. He is a writer over at Gangrene Nation and a podcaster here at TurnOnTheJets.com. Known for his ability to find nerdy numbers like nobody else following the New York Jets. I've actually had members of the New York Jets beat tell me that he has inspired several articles that they've written, so he should be very proud of himself there, but he should also be demanding a portion of their paycheck, I would think. Mr. Michael Nania, what's going on, Michael? Uh, not too much, and like I got, I got to get on that now that you brought it up. But thanks for bringing that to my attention. <laughs> I'm just trying to spread the wealth around to you, Michael, a little bit. You know, get you a little bit of that sweet beat writer money in your pocket, so that you can go out and buy more advanced tools to help you find these crazy stats that you keep coming up with. One of which is about Antonio Brown. I believe you have numbers on how many people have referred to themselves as Mister Big Chest and gone on to win a Super Bowl, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I was trying to look and see if anyone uh, names Mr. Big Chess as one of Super Bowl. No one has. So, I mean, I, I don't think I'd want to trade for him after that. It's just the numbers aren't in favor. You don't want to go after a statistical outlier. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. No one has names Mr. Big Chess as one of Super Bowl, so I'd stay away. It's just 0% chance. There it is. You've heard it right there. Zero percent chance that Antonio Brown wins a championship after referring to Who's himself. Antonio Brown? I don't know who that is. <laughs> NBC. You know, we should call him the notorious NBC. I kind of like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mr. Big Chest, Antonio Brown, a receiver that the Jets don't have. Maybe at some point they'll investigate a trade possibility. I would proceed with caution after what's been going on. But let's not talk too much about him because he's not on the Jets. Let's talk about a receiver that is on the Jets, and that's Quincy Inunua. You've been doing a lot of work around Quincy. We talked about him over the last couple of weeks a little bit, but this episode episode is going to be largely dedicated to getting inside what was going on with Quincy Inunua. Let's start with the different routes that he ran, and this reflects a lot on Jeremy Bates. You found something really interesting there. Yeah, so what I did was I went back and kind of graded uh, or charted Inunua's production based on the route types that he ran last year. I, I did the same thing uh, last season. I looked at Inunua's 2016 season, Robbie Anderson's 2017 season, so continuing off of what I did last year and so I was able to compare what Anunwa did in his breakout 2016 season where he looked like a really legitimate weapon to this season where he really kind of fell off of a cliff after the beginning of the year. And you compare the way uh, some where he's getting his targets based on the routes he was running this season under Jeremy Bates compared to what he did under Chan Gailey in 2016. And it, it's almost like a polar opposite. So Anunwa had 68 targets this season. 18 of those were screen passes I had him for this season. That's twice as many as any other route that he ran. And you compare that to the amount of screens he ran under Gailey in 2016, he only had nine of those out of the 105 targets under Gailey in 2016. So Bates got really happy at the screens, and also the downfield production fell off for Nunwa. I had him running only 10 go or post routes this season and catching only one of those all season in 2018. Compare that to 2016 when he ran 27 of those uh, throughout the season and caught 16 of them, which is a really incredible number. That's about one deep shot a game, which is really solid. So the deep production fell way off under Bates. He started running way more screens than he was running before. And Anumad did do a good job with the screens this season, but the thing is it fell off after the beginning of the season. I believe he had seven, yeah, he had seven first downs on screens in 2018, and I believe six of those were in the first three games of the season. So after that, Bates got pretty stubborn with it. He didn't move away from it 
even though corners were sitting on it, edge defenders were deflecting those passes, as they just expected it, and Bates got really predictable. So uh, that definitely contributed to a new loss production falling off, and the downfield production wasn't there. So it's really interesting to see how differently Bates used Anunwak compared to Galing 2016 and how it can, uh, definitely played a part in the huge dip in production. So do you think that with Gase coming in here, it would be best for him to use Anunwa more like Galey did in 2016? Or do you think maybe somewhere in between what Bates and Galey did? Gase in Miami definitely was known for running a lot of wide receiver screens. Uh, he signed Albert Wilson last year, a guy who made all his money based on what he did as a yak guy. So Gase definitely loved to run the wide receiver screens. Now, I do think the Jets should continue to run Anunwa on those. He's really productive with them. Obviously, we know what he can do with the ball in his hands. He's been a top 10 yak receiver. In terms of yak per reception in each of the last two uh, full healthy seasons that he's played in 2018-2016, so they should continue to run those a lot. But I had a chart here where I compared the percentage, uh, the, the breakdown of which routes Anunwa ran the most based on his targets from Bates versus Gailey. So Bates, 26% of his targets were screens. Gailey, 9%. So you definitely want to get that number somewhere in the middle there. But a big difference was Gailey was running him more in the flat, on drags over the middle, more creative ways to get him the ball underneath. Gailey, 23% of Anunwa's targets were either flat or a drag. Bates, only 13%. So injuries obviously have been a question with Anunwa. He, of course, he missed the 2017 season, had troubles with injuries in 2018, had a couple stretches and missed games this past season. So you do want to try and get his hits down a little bit, but you don't want to completely take him out of the underneath game where he's such a weapon. So like I said, Gailey was doing a much better job of getting him the ball creatively. You look at the breakdown of how Gailey got Anunwa's underneath targets, 9% screens, 13% flats, 10% drags. It's a really even breakdown compared to Bates, 26% screens, 10% flats, and 3% drags. So a lot more predictable the way Bates was doing it. So I would get his underneath touches down a little bit, but then also even it out more. Don't just throw him the screens. Get him a pick over the middle. Get him out towards the sideline and let him go up the field. So I would definitely bring the underneath touches down a little bit, but become a little more unpredictable. And I think Gase will do a good job with that. And down the field, I'd definitely get him some more vertical shots. Uh, under Gailey in 2016, 23% of Anunwa's routes were post. Is the most common route that he ran. Uh, the post route up the field, and only 7% of those targets were posts under Bates in 2018, so get him some more shots downfield and become more, bring his underneath touches down a little bit to protect him uh, so he doesn't get too, uh, hurt too much. So I would definitely make sure to get him a couple more vertical shots a game, specifically on posts, which he was great with in 2016, and become a little more unpredictable with the underneath game and lessen his amount of touches, dangerous touches underneath just a bit to try and protect his health a little bit because he's a volatile runner. He's going to put his head down and look for contact. And it's great because he does grind out a lot of extra yards doing that and become one of the best yak guys in the league. But as we've seen, he's still struggled with injuries, and that could be a huge part of it. So try to protect him a little bit, bring those touches down just a bit, but become a little more unpredictable and get him those deep shots. The thing that's crazy here, Michael, is that you broke this down with so much precision. I can't even believe that you found some of these things. You even broke down when he was lined up on the left side versus the right side. So if you can, tell me a little bit about stuff like that, like the really, really, really down underneath the hood type of stuff that you have in this piece. Yeah, so I, I did break down his splits left side versus right side, outside versus inside, and on the line versus off the line. And this year, there wasn't really that much of a difference uh, for the most part between those splits, but the most notable one was actually his production uh, lined up outside versus inside. I had him producing better outside 
versus inside. Uh, when he's outside, he had a first down percentage of about 35% versus inside 31%, and his yards per target was about a full yard higher when he's outside as well. And it goes back, it does correlate with what I found in 2016 when his, uh, his production outside was a lot better or a lot more efficient than his inside production on a much smaller volume. I believe he only had 16 uh, outside targets that season, but he was more efficient with them. And then it correlated this season on a much bigger volume as he had 29 outside targets, 39 inside. So a higher portion than he had in 2016, and he continued to be more efficient with them. So it was interesting to see that he's doing better. Uh, well, at least as good, but certainly more efficient, at least with this charting, uh, just by a little bit, even if it's not by that much, doing a little bit more efficiently with his outside target. So it definitely gives me confidence that should the Jets add a true slot receiver, a new lock could really thrive, maybe do even better if he's uh, outside consistently. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You mentioned a true slot receiver, and you took a look at one of those because Cole Beasley from the Dallas Cowboys is going to be available in free agency. He's a guy that's not super old. He's 29 years old, probably going to cost less than somebody like Adam Humphreys. So tell me all about what you found on Cole Beasley and whether or not you think he'd be a good fit for the Jets' offense. Yeah, so Beasley's interesting. If, if you think about it on the surface, like you said, he's 29. He'll be 30 going into the season. He's never posted flashy numbers. He's not a flashy player. But you compare his production to some of these other guys that are poised to get 10, 11, 12 million per year, and he's right there with them. You compare uh, what uh, Beasley has done to Humphreys over the past three seasons, their numbers are extremely similar. There's like a five-yard difference in yards per game. Beasley has four more touchdowns and six fewer fumbles over the past three seasons in the same amount of games. So their production is really similar. Obviously, Beasley over the past two years has trended down a little bit, and Humphreys is trending up. So that's why a guy like Humphreys is going to get paid more. But if, if at a position like wide receiver where there isn't a star in the market, uh, the best players are Adam Humphreys, Jameson Crowder, Golden Tate, who's in, uh, already into his 30s. Those guys could get some really inflated deals. So could find value with guys like Beasley, who might be 5 10% less than a guy like Adam Humphreys, but might make maybe half as much if, that's the way the market falls. So Beasley could be one a really good value if the Jets, because the Jets are in a good position to where they can afford to overpay for a few guys just to make sure they're getting the most talented player like they can with Le'Veon Bell, who 
maybe you don't like running back or you don't believe in running back value and you'd rather have Ted and Coleman, but the Jets can, are in a position to where they can afford to pay three times as much, twice as much to get Le'Veon Bell. But at a position, at a position like wide receiver, the way this market is looking, uh, a guy like Beasley could be a really good value, and he brings you durability. He's played 84 out of 85 games uh, since 2014. He's been an efficient target over there. His pass rating when targeted was top 20 this past season. It's been over 100. And for the past five seasons, his first down rate has been above 40% in four of the past five seasons, which is really solid consistency. So he's that true slot weapon that you like. He can go inside. Uh, he'll get those outbreaking routes, those in-breaking routes. He's not a very good yak guy. His yak numbers aren't good, but he's a classic slot receiver. He's going to get you those first downs, move the chains with routes over the middle and short out routes. But it depends on what the Jets are looking for. If they really want to overpay for the trending upwards, younger Humphreys or Crowder, then they can do that. But if they're looking for value, and wide receiver seems like uh, looking at this market this year, it could be that position where value is the way to go with the market lacking a star, then Beasley could be that option. Uh, with him going into his 30s, he could be much cheaper than Humphrey. So it'll be interesting to see how the Jets value the wide receiver market. Michael, I want to talk running back for a second here, specifically Le'Veon Bell. We had an interesting exchange, you and I, with somebody on Twitter yesterday, and they were talking about how good teams don't pay big running backs or don't have great running backs. And he put a chart out there, and you used your nanny and numbers in your magic wand. You took his own chart and turned it against him and made it work in your favor for your argument, which I personally thought was pretty awesome. So if you could... Tell me a little bit about what you found with this chart and why it actually ended up proving to you that Le'Veon Bell might have more value than some people that are detractors of his seem to think. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the first thing off the top of Bell is that the money he's probably going to make, you can't, you can't even compare it to because it's going to redefine the market for this position as a guy who could you know, catch the ball out of the backfield and carry the ball 20 times a game. So there isn't really a comparable... Uh, to him with the money he's about to make. But the chart was, I believe it was about, so it was the past eight Super Bowls and the uh, the rank and cap hits of their starting running back. And uh, if you take out the Patriots, five, I believe five out of the 11 were top seven paid running backs. So that's 45%. And so if you're looking at it in that way, uh, so five out of the 11 were top seven paid running backs. So if there are only seven top seven paid running backs in the league, that makes up less than a quarter of the team's in the league. And if we're looking at this uh, chart that was brought up, it was 45% of the 11 teams, other than the Patriots, who we're taking out, because obviously they're a major exception. They do things completely differently than they ever have, things have ever been done or will be done. So if you take them out, it's that's five out of 11 teams, uh, non-Patriot teams that made the Super Bowl, the top seven paid running back. That's about half. And the expectation would be that about a quarter of those teams would be able to make it since uh, it's obviously only seven top seven paid running backs in the league. So uh, it, it is an argument that a lot of people make that uh, because the Patriots have been able to do it for so long with Sony Michelle, Deion Lewis, James White, all these guys undrafted running backs, uh, rookie contract running backs that they make it to the Super Bowl with. But outside of them, we've seen guys like Frank Gore, Marshawn Lynch, uh, other running backs who have been on higher paid salaries make the Super Bowl. But again, it's hard to compare to what Le'Veon Bell is going to get. Uh, no team has really had a guy like him. So it'll be interesting to see if Bell can break that mold wherever he goes. Michael, you laid out your dream scenario for which free agents the Jets could get this offseason. Tell me a little bit about it and why that's your dream scenario. Yeah, so I say it was Le'Veon Bell, Matt Paradis, and Trey Flowers. So 
Uh, of course, there are some other guys like Demarcus Lawrence, Jadavian Clowney, uh, especially at the edge rusher position. Guys who are, could be mentioned in that group talent-wise, impact-wise, but those, I don't think those guys are as realistic. But I think that trio right there is the three guys who are realistic options who, if the Jets add, you can feel really confident that they're going to have a hugely profound impact. And you look at the other positions we were talking about, wide receiver, sure, they could add an Adam Humphreys or a Golden Tate or a Cole Beasley. And those guys could come in and really help the team. That could definitely happen. It could happen at cornerback, whether they add uh, Ronald Darby, if they make an inside linebacker addition, a defensive tackle addition. Anybody can help the team, absolutely. There are a lot of solid options out there. But those are the three guys who I look at and say, if the Jets can get that guy in there, they're going to make a hugely positive impact for this team. Most likely, of course, there's bust potential, uh, no matter who it is, whether uh, it's the first pick in the draft, the last pick in the draft, a $100 million free agent, a minimum deal free agent. There's always going to be bust potential with every player in sports. But those are the three guys who, if the Jets pick up, I really feel like they're going to make a huge multi-win impact for this team. You look at Bell, this is the guy who's averaging more scrimmage yards than anybody ever among players who've played at least five seasons. Uh, Matt Paradis is a consensus top five center. Trey Flowers is a guy who would be the best pass rusher this team has had in probably over a decade. He's versatile. He could play either side. He could even go inside. Uh, Patriots use them all over the place. He's a special pass rushing talent. So if the Jets can get one of those three guys, I would be very confident in them coming in and making a huge impact. I just don't see the need for paying Le'Veon Bell and Trey Flowers when you can just bring back Copeland for one fiftieth of the price, or when you can go out and get yourself a Trenton Cannon for one thirtieth of the price. We've talked about this, Michael. One thirtieth of the price and one tenth of the production, that's a bargain right there. Yeah, man. I mean Brandon Copeland, he had five sacks last year. Trey Flowers had seven and a half sacks. So if you think about it, that's fifty percent more sacks for Flowers, but He's going to make like three times as much money. So if you can get Copeland back on $2 million per year, then that's how many sacks per dollar are you getting? Like five times as much as Flowers? So I think that's the way to go for the Jets. And you mentioned that uh, with Trent Cannon, Cannon averages like three yards per carry. Bell averages like 4.5. So it, and if Bell's going to make 20 times as much as Cannon, he better be averaging 60 yards a carry. So I don't think he's going to do that. No, probably not, and this is why you don't want to pay guys like Le'Veon Bell and Trey Flowers. By the way, before people tune out, we're joking. This is a joke. There are people that will actually make arguments similar to this, so we're just adding to the absurdity of it and amplifying it. But yeah, this is what you'll hear sometimes on social media, and it's obviously ridiculous. There's a reason why high-quality players like Trey Flowers and Le'Veon Bell get paid. And I'm with you, Michael. I think that would be the dream scenario. If you could land any three free agents this offseason, those would be the three, and then you would build from there. And there are a lot of directions you could go, and we'll talk about that coming up in the next couple of weeks as we see how free agency and the draft play out. But, Michael, before you go, I want to ask you a little bit about your experience over the weekend because the all-star game was in your backyard and you got to go to some of the skills competitions yeah that was pretty sweet it was definitely uh cool to go out there and see it uh it was interesting so um definitely it was a lot of fun to go to he is the numbers nerd for gangrene nation and turn on the jets.com and by the way i say that in an affectionate way i'm not saying it to insult him he knows that and he takes pride in it mr michael nania michael thank you for coming on for the chronicles of nania a great and insightful look into quincy anunua above all else so really looking forward to seeing what he might be able to do in a new offense as you said 
He was not used well when he was healthy last year by Jeremy Bates. Used much better by Chan Gailey. So let's see if Gase uses him more like Gailey or somewhere in between the two. But definitely has to tweak the usage if Anunwa is going to be a more productive wide receiver in this offense. Michael, for anybody that doesn't know where to find you, your great tweets, your articles, all that stuff, go ahead and let them know. Yep, you can follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. That's N-A-N-I-A. And all my writing is at most of my writing is at gangrenation.com. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Now time for a little bonus content. As you know, we've been doing these roundtables where we have a wide variety of voices talking about what they think the Jets should do in the 2019 offseason. It goes from free agency to the draft, the trade market, and even the uniforms. Because even though I'm not really into the uniform change, a lot of people are. So I'm curious to get a wide variety of opinions on what the Jets can and probably will do regarding the uniform change. One of the people who cares a lot more about this than I do is Axel from the Daily DVR podcast, who's a listener of this program. He does a great job over there if you're into television. They do daily podcasts on some of your favorite shows, including True Detective, which they're diving into right now. So if you like that show especially, head over there right now and give it a listen. But he contacted me and he said, look, Scott, I really feel like you should care a lot more about these uniforms. And in fact, you inspired me to record a rebuttal to your indifference to the uniform change so i said great send it on over and i'll include it on a toj digital show and that toj digital show is this one so here's axel's impassioned argument for why people like me and others like me who don't seem to really care that much about the uniforms should care a lot more than we do scott how you doing this is axel from the dvr podcast network i'm a huge fan of the podcast and of everything that you all do at Turn On The Jets, Play Like A Jet, all the stuff you do, what's your point? And this is kind of a little bit inspired by that because I was listening to you and I listen to every podcast you all do. And uh, you keep on talking about the uniforms. You're doing your roundtables. And every, at the end, you're asking every guy, uh, you know, who cares about the uniforms? It's stupid. And uh, this, this is the thing. I love you, man. I think you're a great podcaster. I love the stuff you do with the, I mean, I'm just listening to Wesley Walker stuff. It's amazing. But uh, I think you should lean into this uniform stuff, you know, because I actually think that it's kind of important. And I want to, I wanted to record this. I have my own podcast. You can check out DVR Podcast Network. I do a daily podcast about TV film. I talk a little bit of sports. Actually, Dalbin was on one of my episodes a while back. We had a great time. And um, we do podcasts, Winterfell, Westworld Theorycast. Anyway, enough about me. Uh, I just want to reach out because, like I said, I think you should lean into this. I think it's important. And I kind of wanted to represent that attitude to you as a positive thing. Not a thing like, hey, I'm complaining you're talking about it on the show, but more so, I think you could have fun with this. And, uh, you know, you could bring someone on 
that has some ideas, a designer, what look at the trends and uniforms, because you know what? It's kind, I think it's important. So I found this Bleacher Report uh, link. I'll send you the link. The New York Jets and their NFL uniforms, 1960 to present. Because I have my favorites. I've been a New York Jet fan since 1984, 85. 85, I started going to games. I had season tickets. I was in Section 215, uh, fourth row up, uh, right from the end. And uh, my dad had season tickets. We were lucky enough with our friend Johnny. And we I saw probably every game at home from 85 till when I – like, yeah, 97, 98 probably. So I saw Jerry Rice, Barry Sanders, uh, of course, all the great Jets, you know. And for me, that's like you're talking to Wesley Walker, Al Toon, Kenny O'Brien, my favorite Jets quarterback of all time. Um, and I've stayed with the Jets throughout. I've seen every, I watch every game. I'm a huge fan. I'm, I'm not as educated, I think, about the game as you guys. But I do think throughout time, I have found the uniform changes to be important. Okay. Looking back at the original uniform. Okay. The New York Titans. Nah, nah, nothing good. They got a picture of Favre in here. <laughs> remember when Favre was a Jet? Oh my God. Anyway, remember the pictures he sent? Okay. Moving on. Number four, nah, you know, they're not that great. Now is when they really, the real Jets uniform, 1963, the kind of throwback, what they have now doesn't have as tight a um, white line on the shoulder, right? And then they just kind of change that uniform throughout time. It's the classic helmet and the logo that we have now that we saw in the Super Bowl. And then in 78, is when they change to what I grew up with, okay? So that's the Jets more so emphasizing uh, the word and the uh, over the J becomes kind of the airplane, you know what I'm saying? The gas to know, you see it. Now they have different variations on it, the all white, the all green. Then in 1990 to 97, is when they introduce the more solid green. It's it's like a slightly different green. Okay, I'm looking at a picture of Boomer Esiason here. And they outlined the uh, numbers in black. Now, that's a touch that I like. And I've heard other Jet fans talk about this. I like when they add a little black to the uniform. Because even the uniforms that I grew up with, we're still semi-classic in just the green and white, right? And they were, and the lines were thicker. And I like when they added the black lines, they made the lines on the shoulders a little thinner and then along the pants a little thicker, right? Um, now, that this is probably my favorite when they did that little black accent, right? It wasn't until 1993 that they introduced the throwback, which they'd eventually kind of meld at certain times, if you all remember that too. They would sometimes do the black line and the helmet, and then they changed kind of the texture of the helmet to make it a little shinier green. That was kind of cool. Uh, and then they went to the white helmets in 1998, and then... In 1998 to present, I'm looking at a picture of Testaverde. He doesn't get enough credit for being a Jets quarterback. I'm going to say it. I loved Vinny, and it was fun to say. You could say Kenny and the Jets, and then you could say Vinny and the Jets. People in the stadium remember them playing that song. 
but uh, they kind of lost that black outline too. They went back to a more classical and they just would switch where the concentration of color separation is. If it's mostly green in the chest and then mostly white on the shoulders and then sometimes all green, all white, they still play with that. Of course, I'm not going to go into the color rush stuff. Okay. I'm not even going to talk about that. Um, but the different variations have always pretty much remained that either the green, either it's either white chest, green arms and green pants, or then the variation is the switching of the pants, chest and shoulders, whether it's green or white. When I look at what people are proposing for the new uniforms, I kind of like the, I kind of like it. I kind of like something a little bit different now, but if I had to go classical, I would say that I'm hoping that they return more to that Boomer Esiason uh, era kind of mixture of the newer black outlined, even black outlines on the shoulders and the numbers and around the jets itself on the helmet but more of the kind of Kelly green. I still like the Kelly green, but I think to me, it looks like solid is more where things are headed. Uh, we don't want like Zubaz. Okay. I mean, I'm at, that would, everybody remember Zubaz, but anyway, that's my little rundown through the uniforms. So it's kind of fun to look at. And I think Scott, that you should embrace it. And uh, maybe have someone on who can talk about uniform design or something, or maybe what's aesthetically pleasing. Because I also want to make a case for the uniforms mattering on the field. I think that if you look kind of, look, we have, look at the Raiders, right? Uh, for a time, the Bengals, there is kind of a feeling with uh, their, their kind of uh, Bengal tiger kind of thing. I think people like that. I guess I'm thinking back in towards the 80s and stuff. Boomer had me thinking, but, um, historically in sports, right? Sports are in many ways, a uh, metaphor for warfare and especially football, right? And the war paint, the way that's where it comes from, right? And all, there's so many cultures that have done this and decorated themselves when they enter battle. And I think that the uniform is important in that sense. And you don't want to look silly. For me, I got to admit, when I look at like the Jaguars or something, I still think they're an expansion team. I look at it as like, it's at the World Football League. It just still doesn't look right. The Panthers, it just still doesn't look right to me. But classic, I like the classic. That's why I like the Jets because it's not as busy. I think the throwback logo is kind of a little bit too busy how the logos inside the football. It's like, okay, I know we're playing football. I liked how it was just jets on the helmet. You know, I like classic. And then I also like the green helmet, but I'm getting back to what I like, but in general, lean into it. Think about why it's important. What the team wears. We are entering hopefully into a new era, right? And with a great new quarterback, hope, who knows, you know, look, by the end of the, what we could go into next season, have an Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, happy, ready to play, get some people on defense, Jamal's playing. This could be a real fun. And then, I mean, I kind of wish they did hard knocks because I think this whole 
uh, coaching thing is going to be a disaster, but maybe a little bit fun to watch. Uh, not as epic as Ryan and the foot worship and tattoos, but I think it could be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to the next season, and I hope that whatever pick we make, whether they trade back or whatever, is holding up a new uniform and a new jersey that looks cool. I want the team to look cool. And they actually, there is the opportunity to look cool because when I was a kid and I first became a Jet fan, their uniforms meant something to me. Green's my favorite color. You know, I'm Irish. I don't know. I just liked it. Kenny O'Brien, you know, even Freeman McNeil, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I just kind of like the green thing and I hope that they can pull it off. So that's all I have to say, brother. Thanks again for all the great podcasts you've given us and all of you over there. Um, and I hope, uh, I hope, I hope I've uh, persuaded you to enjoy the uniform change a little bit and look forward to it. We're probably going to be disappointed with Jet fans, but um, we're used to it, right? So who cares? Just uh, have fun with it while you can. <laughs> all right. Take care. Thanks, Axel. Not going to lie. You made some good points there, especially going through the history of the uniforms. You definitely gave me something to think about. So thank you so much for that. And thank you to you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another brand new podcast. But in the meantime, for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.